you do need to get baptized and you haven't talked with me yet, please come see me. Uh, that Sunday will also be the Sunday that we'll, we're going to be recognizing the general manager of the Christian Broadcasting Radio Station. He, he should be with us in that service. Romans chapter 2. Brother Norris is probably smiling a little bit more today. Yeah, he is. Look at that. His wife is back in town. Look at that smile. Yes, he's glad his wife is back. And it is good to see her. <clears throat> All right, Romans chapter 2. And it, again, it has been four weeks with the camps uh, uh, um, being consecutive this year. But let, let's, we're, we're going to be from verse 12 down through uh, verse number 16. For as, many, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Please control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. And Lord, may it strengthen us, may it draw, draw us closer to you, may it meet the needs that are here. Lord, I pray that you be glorified. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction, that drawing, that even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, it's been a good four or five weeks since we've been in the book of Romans, but we have been really dealing with the judgment of God, even going back into Romans chapter 1 a little bit, as we looked at what is taking place, what takes place in cultures, and what is taking place in, even in our culture in chapter 1, we can see that with the turning from God, denying Him as Creator, God's judgment falling in the form of three different times man is turned over, turned over first to a sexual revolution, secondly to a homosexual revolution, it teaches us, and then thirdly unto all all kinds of vileness. And that is just God turning man over to their own heart. God just removing his restraining influence and in how wicked and vile our heart actually is. And that is a form of judgment on man as they have turned from God, have turned from the Creator. He says, fine, if you don't want me, I will turn you over to your own. Let me show you what it looks like when you follow your own heart. Then as we get into chapter 2, he continues along the theme of God's judgment. And we looked at, and we looked at that. And I, and I would recommend if you did not hear the sermon dealing with God's goodness and justice, I recommend you go back and listen to that. It really does answer the question scripturally of why at times we think God is unfair when he is not. Why we see different crimes and atrocities occur, and so many people in the world make that statement. Well, if God is there, why is this happening? If there is a God, why does this happen? Why are these bad things in place? If you go back and listen to that, I think it will help you with a scriptural answer to that question. And then the last time we were here, we were looking at how all are going to be judged. Um, of this coming judgment that is going to take place. And, uh, um, and we're continuing along those same lines with our text today. 
Um, today we're going to look at two different areas. One, number one, how there is no escape from judgment. And then number two, how there's no escape in judgment. I, I was just uh, a few days ago, I think it just happened a few days ago. Maybe the story was about something that happened a couple of years ago, but I think it just happened. There's a story of a man, uh, I'm trying to remember what state he was in. I, can't, I, I think it was Texas, somewhere down south. 25 years in prison. 25 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. And I guess DNA evidence had just recently released him from prison. And the picture was just him weeping in the courtroom that he had been found not guilty after all. We also, of course, know of crime after crime after crime that goes completely unsolved, where there is no justice, if you will. However, the day is coming. Nobody gets away with anything. No one. Justice will ultimately be served. In the American justice system, the image that represents justice is, this, of course, the, blind, uh, the statue with the blindfolded lady holding the scales in hand, trying to weigh out uh, equity uh, without being influenced. Um, just weighing the actions, just weighing the evidence, blind to everything else. There used to be a statue, in, as I was studying for this, in, actually in Greece and in Rome, that represented their justice system it was very similar to ours, except they actually had no hands on it. They had cut off the hands, so it represented you could not take a bribe either. Again, the, the, the desire for in all cultures and societies to try and find a way of perfect justice. Well, God will judge perfectly. One thing that really is comforting to know in that, and frightening at the same time, is the fact that one day this judgment is coming and it will be perfect. It's comforting to know that no one gets away with anything. No crime that has been committed. It's, it's not going to go unpunished. Um, that will not take place. There might have been somebody who was able to fool our nation's laws or our nation's justice system, but that is not possible to fool God. He will judge perfectly and without error. Of course, it's also frightening. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That Every single one of us will be judged. That's what we looked at about four weeks ago when we finished this up. For the Christian, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For the lost, they will stand before the great right throne of judgment. Now get this, both are judged for their deeds. Both. You will stand before Almighty God and you will be judged. Today in our text, we learn of two key things. As I said, that there is no escape from judgment. And secondly, there's no escape in the judgment. I think you really need to listen to this today. We're going to see one that all men will be judged. All men, fairly, including the man. We're going to get back into the question I touched on at Romans chapter 1. What about that person? We always hear the argument in deepest, darkest Africa, who has never heard. <clears throat> you might say, or even ask the question, is it fair of God to judge those and condemn those who have never heard? Yes, it is. And we will see that today, that they will not escape, and they will be judged based on the light that has been given to them. We will see why it is fair, while it is just, while it is right for God to judge them. 
And then we're going to look out. How, then we're going to look at really a much more, even more frightening aspect of it: how there is no escape in the judgment. You will be able to hide nothing. Nothing. Not a thought. Not a secret. Think about that. So let's look at this. Let's look at no escape from judgment and no escape in judgment here this evening. First off, verses 12 through 15. Let me go through those very quickly again. For as many have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which through the work of law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, uh, the meanwhile excusing or else excusing one another." So here we see there is no escape from judgment. doesn't matter who you are, all men will be judged. Paul makes that clear. The Jews, of course, thought they were saved because we're God's chosen people. I mean, I mean, we're free from this. I mean, God has given us his law. His word comes through us. We are his nation. We are his people. They thought they were saved. Others might think, well, the, the pagans could be safe. We hear this argument all the time. I mean, they have no prophets. They have no priests. They don't have the word of God. Many have never even heard the name of Christ. But however, we're going to see that does not exclude you from judgment and you will be judged. All men, Jew and Gentile, religious and pagan, all will face judgment. We, we can think of the multitudes today who believe it's, it's incredible. Well, well, really, it makes sense. I mean, the thoughts, uh, it's hard to believe that anybody would actually think that, that they're on their way to hell and don't want to do anything about it. But everybody has some type of reason in their mind why they are going to either escape judgment or they're going to be just fine when it comes to judgment day. You have, the, again, the false view of not understanding who God is. Well, my God is a God of love. He's not going to judge me. He's not going to send me to hell. My dad held on to that view for years. That's a wrong view of God. It doesn't understand who God is. God is number one. His number one attribute in Scripture is holiness. His second attribute that is mentioned the most is the fact that he is just. And then comes his love. He is holy. He is just. And he is love. You will stand before a holy and a just God. Now his love has made a way as we will see later. His love has made a way to escape that judgment. Many just like pretend God doesn't exist as if they're not going to face judgment. Of course, that's not going to fly. The very moment death finds them, they're going to realize God is real when they enter into eternity. Or multitudes who have, I don't know how many times I've heard this when witnessing, listen, I don't need this, I have my own thing worked out between me and God. No, you don't. You're going to die Face judgment and you're guilty. That's what you have worked out with God. Paul deals with the Jews sort of first here in their judgment. The Jew thought, well, they, they I mean, we're good. I mean, we're God's people. We're not like the pagans. We're not worshiping idols. I mean, we're trying to do what's right. We're religious. We're monotheistic. We know the creator is there. I mean, he's, his truth has been given through us. 
But the reality is, as we see here in our text, what they thought was somehow an escape from judgment actually is going to cause them to be judged much harsher. They're going to face a much more severe judgment, the Bible tells us. Sad. What they think prevents them from judgment is actually going to make their judgment much more severe. Look at this in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to show you this in Scripture. Look at Luke 12. You might have noticed this before in these two verses, but I want you to see this. We're also going to see this in Matthew chapter 11 as well. Matthew 11, I have pointed this out several times, but I want you to see it in Luke 12 as well. Verse 47 says this, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Look at verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, was still guilty, still sinned, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of, of him they will ask the more. So the nation of Israel, with all the light they have been given, they're actually facing a much more severe judgment of God because of the knowledge they possess. Look over in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 21, woe unto the Chorazin, woe unto the Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable uh, uh, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Why? Because of the miracles, the preaching they heard. I mean, the Son of God walked among them. He preached in their synagogues. They saw the blind able to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. They heard the power of the sermons and they still chose to deny And based on all that light was given is a direct connection to the severity of the judgment that will be applied. Now, I want you to think about this, what that means for us sitting in this church, hearing the word of God preached all the time. There's a part of me, I I, I sort of laugh when I thought of it, not like a funny laughter. I need to stop studying. (laughs) There's a seriousness that goes with it. You're accountable for the knowledge that is given. Again, the Jews thought they were fine. Again, we're not the idol worshipers. We're not like those pagans. We're privileged. Little do they realize all that light has been given comes greater accountability and greater responsibility. Notice what he says in verse 13. It's not the hearers that are justified, but the doers that are justified. It's the practicing. It's not the, it's not the possessing of the law. Same thing that we see in James chapter 1 and several principles throughout Scripture. But be you doers of the word and not hearers only. There are many religious people who are going to be 
stunned when it comes to Judgment Day. Christ talked about this in the Sermon at the Mount when he was concluding it in Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied thy name? In thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. They were religious. They had the light. They thought everything was fine. I go to church. I'm a deacon. I'm a pastor. I'm a Sunday school teacher. Everything's fine. Then they stand in judgment and they're like, wait, what's happening? You see, it's our works will never save us. Coming to church doesn't save you. As he said, it, it would be the doer of the law. But the truth is, there's not a one of us here who has fulfilled the law. For all have sinned. That's the conclusion he's going, to, that, that, like he's going to drive to in chapter 2. That every mouth may be stopped and become guilty before God. But nonetheless, that is the answer. There was only one who fulfilled the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was in his fulfilling of the law that enables justification to take place in our life as his righteousness can be applied to us because of his death on the cross, which makes it look as if we fulfill the law. <clears throat> the law then, for those in this world, it becomes their schoolmaster to bring them to Christ because then they realize, wait, I'm in trouble. Not only will the Jew be Gentile, but all men will. Gentile, pagan. And yes, the Gentiles, the pagans, everyone else, even those who have never, will be judged even though they don't have the law. Without the law means those who did not have prophets, they, didn't have the, they don't have the word of God, they don't have the biblical writers, they didn't have the revelation, um, they don't have the law of God, yet they will perish too. Now, before I look at this, I do want to cover an important point because you might work with SDA or, or Jehovah Witness. Uh, and this verse happens to be a proof text for a false doctrine called annihilation. It is, it is a denial of the very real hell that the Bible talks about. And that doctrine teaches that, uh, um, that when a person who is apart from Christ dies, they simply cease to exist, annihilate it. This is one of the verses they use. They like to use the word perish, and they say that it means destruction. I've been in those debates. I can go back when I was in the Air Force working with SDA. I can think of uh, several different times going to, them going to verses just like this to try and convince me that annihilation was in fact true, when it is not. So I, I want to talk about the word that is brought up here, perish. It can mean to destroy but it never means an end of existence, and we're going to see that. It means ruined, so that it no longer can serve its intended purpose. I'm reading you a definition. So we need to see how is this word actually used in Scripture, because that's how you would counter the argument that is given of when you're being told that annihilation is true. Now remember, when you're in this discussion with somebody, just imagine you're that person for me. They need you to present this, not so you can show them that you're right. They need that truth. They need to know what they're believing is an error. The Lord used the exact same word when he was 
uh, I'm giving the parable when, uh, when men put new wine in old wineskins. And how it ruined the new wine. The word that's used in the text is the exact same word used here. The wine did not cease to exist. It was simply ruined from its intended purpose. The noun form is used by the disciples. When they saw the woman anointing the feet of Jesus, putting that precious ointment on, on there. Remember, why all this waste? That word's the same word that's used here. Exact same word. Again, the ointment did not cease to exist. But in their mind, it wasn't being served for its intended purpose. And of course, one of the best examples we have of this in Scripture is that of the Antichrist. We're not going to turn there for time's sake. But in Revelation chapter 17 in verse 8, um, well, let me go ahead and let me go ahead. I, I'm failing to be able to quote it right now. Let me, let me go there and just go ahead and read that real quick. <clears throat> Two verses here I want to read. Let me see if I have the right one. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's uh, verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. That's the exact same word that we're seeing used in Romans chapter 2. Same word. Okay? So let's see. Let's turn over now with me to Revelation chapter 20. Verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Again, just showing to you, it means ruin, destruction, in that it's lost its intended purpose. Not destruction as in cease to exist. It's never what the word meant. So anyhow, back to the primary teaching of Romans chapter 2 in these verses right here. We're dealing now with switching over to the Gentiles, so they too will be judged even though they don't have the law. So how can the Gentiles, how can the pagan culture, how can somebody growing up who has never heard, how can God judge them and condemn them? They didn't have the law. And after all, the Bible, we're going to get to it in Romans chapter 4, verse 15. It says, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Well, what we have given to us is four reasons as to why the person who has never heard will stand before God and be judged and condemned. And it will be fair and just. I, you can write these down quickly. They, I almost made this the whole message, but I changed it a little bit. Four C's here I'm going to give you. Four C's is how I put them. Number one is going to be creation. Number two, coded. I'll get to that in a minute. Number three, conscience. And number four is going to be contemplation. So let's dive into these real quick. The first one, creation, we saw in chapter one. Now, the other three we're going to see back in Romans chapter 2, right in verse number 15 itself is where they're going to be. But look back in Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1, a couple of verses here that we looked at a few months ago. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
And it goes on from there. I could read on. But you get the idea of what happened. This is the foundation for their rejection. It will also serve as the foundation for their judgment. That creation itself, general revelation, if you will, scream creator. And that's going to be combined with what we see given to us in verse 15. And that is going to be the basis of their judgment. And yes, they will be judged on the light that was given to them. But they're still condemned. That doesn't change that. So creation serves as it. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God because they were choosing to ignore the seas that we're going to look at in verse 15 because they wanted to follow their own flesh, their own way. They didn't want to glorify God as God. We don't want to go that direction. We want to do what we want to do. So creation is the first basis for their judgment. Second, there in Romans chapter 2, it says this in verse 15 which shew the work of the law written in their hearts. So the first thing we have here is written in their hearts, what I uh, put as the code. They were coded in their hearts. God's law written on their hearts. So when they don't have the written word, they don't have the law, they don't have the gospel, all that's true, but please understand, you don't have to have the written word to be responsible for a law that God put on your heart. God has put that code, if you will. He has written that law on our heart. This has been true of any culture that has been studied. You see those with this code or this set of laws that govern them right from wrong, even in places that don't even know a Bible exists or even heard the name Jesus Christ. Without knowing the written law of God, people in pagan societies generally value and attempt to practice the, the Bible's most basic tenets of morality. You find that they will value things like justice, compassion, goodness. They recognize things like lying, stealing, murder, dishonoring parents is all wrong. You'll find them caring for their children. And that you say, well, what about those who would offer their children as a sacrifice to appease whatever deity? Again, much of that is done, is done in ignorance. In their mind, they're actually trying to do some great sacrifice because the devil has blinded them. But within their hearts, there's written a law. That's why, they, that's why it was so difficult and the tears would be shed and the weeping would be done because they showed the care for the child. That's why it was a sacrifice. Why is that true? Why in places where they haven't even heard of the Bible do they still have that? Because God's law is written on their hearts. That code is there. Therefore, as it teaches us here, that becomes a law unto them. Then that brings us to the next C in Romans chapter 2. Their conscience also bear witness. God has not only put this on their heart, but He's given us a conscience. That inner voice telling them right and wrong. Let me read a couple different definitions here. The judgment of the mind respecting right and wrong, or the judgment which the mind passes on the morality or immorality of its own actions when it instantly approves or condemns them. Another one. 
that instinctive sense of right and wrong that produces guilt when violated. In addition to the innate awareness of God's law, men have a warning system that activates when they choose to ignore or disobey that law. It's that inner sense of right and wrong. That, that, that God himself has put there. That when you're getting ready to do something, you know that instant it just hits. This isn't right. A twinge of guilt. Uh, what have I done? It pronounces sort of judgment on you. After a thought or an action or an attitude or a deed. When you do something wrong, all of a sudden fear hits you. I might get caught. That feeling inside, that instant moment of guilt or something not right is your conscience. Or you're about to do wrong and that thought hits. Stop now. When that hits, that person, whether they're in Africa or sitting in Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage, has a decision to make. That is God-given in that moment. That conscience is from the Creator. Listen, I, 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 I'm not going to with this. I thought about it during this message when I was going over this. There were so many verses. I thought I could just do one or two messages just on the conscience. Paul talked much about it. When I looked at all of them, when I was going over all the verses, went through every single one of them, I'll sum it up like this. You need to guard your conscience. You need to guard it. It could be damaged. You could damage your conscience so it doesn't work as it should be working, and then you're in trouble. Paul warned against damaging it. He talked about weak and defiled conscience. Paul even talking about Christian liberty, he was saying this, if somebody tells you it's okay, but your conscience condemns you, he said, don't do it, even if it's okay, don't do it. Now, there's, there's two main reasons for that. I'm just going to cover one right now. There's two main reasons. One deals with your conscience, and don't work on deadening. Don't work on ignoring that. Honor that at the time, until you can settle, nope. This is right. You don't want to ignore your conscience when it's telling you. Even if it's something you have to learn later through illumination, through God's Spirit directing, no, it's okay. Don't weaken that. Don't damage it. Don't make it defiled. You don't want it seared. You want that conscience strong that when you're about to do wrong, it's so clear it's screaming at you. And what I found amazing, the moment I, the, the day I came to know Christ was how much more that was elevated. It was. I mean, I mean, that June 30th, 1982, when I put my faith in Christ, and I'm 12, 12 years old at the time, and I'm out with my friends just a couple hours later, and I went to cuss. And I did. And then that just felt so wrong in that moment. Don't ignore it. Don't let it get seared. You will remove something that God has given to protect you. It is your warning system. Stop. Don't do it. And the more you ignore it, the more you defile it. 
Paul talked over and over how he had a pure conscience. It was powerful. It was working. It was strong. And then we see the next C here, contemplation. Verse 2, he finishes with this, verse 15. Also, uh, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. That might sound a little complicated, but really it's not. I think you'll understand it pretty easy here in just a minute. But this is another element that God has given that will serve as a basis of judgment. God is perfectly just in all that he does. He has put things in place that even when judgment comes, it will be right, it will be fair. There will be nothing that is, nobody who can stand before God without excuse. No one. It won't happen. It's not possible. And so here we come into this contemplation. This is dealing with their thoughts. The word thought here means this. Reasons, opinions, reflections, sentiments. Let me focus on one part of those to try and give the understanding. One of those meanings, reflections. Saying after an action is done, or we even witness an action that is accomplished, we have the ability to reflect on that. Our thoughts dwell on it. Uh, to the end, to determine if that was moral or immoral. Remember, the conscious was an instant. Something happens in a moment when you're about to do something or you just did something. It hits. This is now dealing with reason and contemplation. This is dealing with reflection on what's taking place. So God is saying, not only that, I've given the ability of man to, after an action, or they witness an action, and, and it, Really, in context here of verse 15, he's dealing with the witnessing of the action. We'll see that in a second. To determine if it's right or wrong, if it's moral or immoral. So a person sees a child harmed by another. They're not going to need the word of God to recognize that's wrong and something needs to be done about it. You know that? They're not. They're going to know if a brand new culture forms because it's God-given, and all of a sudden they see a crime committed, a child is harmed. And they're there in this brand new little village that knows nothing. They're going to know that's not right. Matter of fact, we need to do something about it. They're reflecting on what's taking place and coming to the conclusion we need some justice. That's what it means when it's finishing up here and that it, it, with the wording here. Um, when uh, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Accusing as in, no, that's wrong. You did something immoral. It's not right. Or excusing, no, that's all right. We didn't do anything. I mean, they can reason that out without having this. God put that there. That's what he's saying. That can take place. So that an immoral action doesn't go unexcused. But they can make the accusation and do something about it. We can contemplate. We can reflect on, uh, on decisions and actions and do something about it. So all these are the reasons that the scripture give us, gives us that while for all men, all Gentiles, all pagans, regardless of where they're at in the world, they will stand before God in judgment and be judged. Now, don't forget this. 
going back to Romans chapter 1, every single man that responds to the light that God gives them, let's say that that person is there and they recognize God in creation. And God's Spirit works on that heart immediately. Yes, there's a Creator. And they start to look at creation with wonder and awe. Know what they're doing? Responding to the light that is given. Know what God will do every single time? More light will be provided. More light will be provided every single time. We forget how powerful and how sovereign God is. And so as man responds to the light, God will always give more light. Now, number two. I'll cover this one quickly. It's a frightening verse. Verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Now, we we just look at how there's no escape from judgment for all men. Now we see there's no escape once you're in that judgment. No escape. You say, well, what do you mean? God will judge your very secrets. There is nothing that you have done, bad or good, that will not be judged of God. Not a thought, not a motive, nothing. The secrets of men, God knows. He knows every thought. Look over in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 quickly. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I want you to see this. I'm going to read two verses. I'll just turn to the second one by myself for time's sake here. I'm going to make sure this is the right verse. Yes. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou that the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Jeremiah chapter 17. I'm, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. I mean, God knows every thought, every intent, every motive. God will judge the secrets of men. That's a scary thought. You can put on a good show before men and impress them with your spirituality and and, and how godly you are. But God knows exactly who you are. You see, what this teaches us, God judges you based on your character when it comes to your deeds. He knows your prideful motives. He sees the lustful glance of your eyes. You might be able to delete the history on your phone, but God knows exactly what it is. God will judge your true character when you stand before him. In other words, you could stand before a judge on this earth, and he can be the best judge in the land. But that judge has no idea of your true intents, your heart, your thoughts. God knows everything. All those things that are secret right now, he knows. 
And this judgment will get, not only will it deal for all those different thoughts, but it will especially get down to the motives. Why you did what you did. The all-knowing, sovereign God knows. Your secret deeds, your thoughts, your motives will all be made clear. When he judges you, it will be right and it will be perfect. Even as the Christian, we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for our deeds and rewarded accordingly. Obviously, it has nothing to do with salvation. That was determined because of Calvary and because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, we are judged for our deeds. You will stand before him and be judged. And there is nothing he doesn't know. This is why it's so important you stop living for man. Stop living for self. Understand, it is all about God. This life passes so quick and you're going to stand before him in judgment. And if you have lived for self and for prideful motivation, it's such vanity. Who cares if you get recognized? The only one you want to recognize you is God. That's all that matters. It's so fleeting here on this earth. If you're doing things for an attaboy now, that's it. I mean, it's nothing. Christ is I've seen all your service, but you know what? That was for you. You're not getting anything for that. It had nothing to do with me. That you were more worried about your glory than you were about my glory. And understand this. This is when you are before trembling before the Creator. I mean, we, I, I, there's no way I could properly... Give it words, thoughts uh, into your mind uh, of how dreadful that day will be. When you're being judged of the almighty God, and you're standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we went through the book of Revelation. Think how he's pictured there in chapter 1. John's response to that. He's going to judge you. Listen, don't live your life to impress others. Live it to glorify God. He is the judge. It's all about him. With heads bowed and eyes closed.